James chapter 1, James chapter 1 and verse 13. We're in a series right now on the book of James. I like expository preaching, working through the Bible because um, it's complete, it's whole, and it brings great counsel into our lives. I think it's going to really encourage you. How many of you have been blessed uh, by our series in James so far? Okay, I, I know I have. God is speaking to me every week, but this is a powerful passage. And to put it in a little bit of context before we read it here together, the last number of weeks have really been dealing with trials. Everybody say trials. Difficulty in life, trouble, uh, hardship, uh, whether it be emotional, whether it be, I mean, physical attacks. These guys were displaced from their homes, uh, whether it be an assault on your, uh, on your character or in your health. These are, these are all trials that are normal for people to face. Now, I don't know if you've asked this question, but I know when you hear passages like this, the question could come into our hearts, well, did God give me that sickness? Did God bring this trial into my life? Did God do this trouble in my life? And James, it's almost like he anticipates what our questions would be. And so look at what verse 13 says. James chapter 1 and verse 13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. God cannot be tempted by evil. God himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Lord, I commit this word to you. I thank you that, uh, Lord, you give us uh, the word that is the word of truth, God, that you are birthing in us your nature and your characteristics. And Holy Spirit, I ask that today you would minister to us, not just Pastor Jacob come and giving an encouraging word, but Lord, I ask that you would come, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would change our lives. Would you release a great anointing all across this room. Come on, church. Would you help me pray? Pray that the Lord speak to you and to your neighbor. God, I pray for a great anointing to be released all across this room even now in the name of Jesus, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that perceives what your spirit is speaking today. I bind the works of the enemy. He who would seek to distract, to distort, to confuse or uproot your word as it comes forward. I pray, oh Lord, give us liberty in receiving your word today. We commit this time to you. Speak to our hearts and change our lives in Jesus name I pray and everybody say amen, amen. you may be seated powerful powerful ideas we've really dealt with the fact that it's normal 
for even Christians. I don't know if anybody ever told you that when you get saved, everything's just going to be rainbows and butterflies and everything's just going to be perfect. But if that's how you were led to the Lord, I'm sorry um, you were fibbed to. We will experience difficulty in this life. We will experience challenges in this life. And one of the things that I've expressed to you, it doesn't mean that you're out of God's favor. does not mean that God doesn't love you. doesn't mean that you're a worse sinner than the person who's sitting next to you. Trouble comes in this life, and it's normal. It's normal. Tell your neighbor, you're going to be okay. We all experience trials. We all experience difficulties. But I, I want to highlight. Now, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive. Can you guys, like, trek with me today? I'm going to get to this motorcycle event. That's why I'm dressed cool, by the way. I got a, had to wear a little bit of leather. And uh, I think that's leather, isn't it? I don't know. Um, had to wear my Nikes instead of my dress shoes. So this isn't normally how I dress every Sunday. But I got I to gotta fit in with those guys, okay? So I... Um, why was I? So my point is I'm going to go fast because I got to get right into this and we're going we're, we're, we're gonna to get a good word today. So, yes, help me preach, my wife says. Yes, help me preach. That's a good. So verse 13, look at what it says. It says, when, let no one say when he is tempted. I'm tempted by God because God cannot be tempted. Now, that word tempted, everybody say tempted. What in the world is that talking about? Well, it's the Greek word parasmos. And that word translates to trials, temptation, or testing. Now, the reason this is important is if you look in the previous portions of, of the text, you, you'll notice in verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Parasmos. It's the same exact word. So trials can also be temptation. Trials can also be testing. This entire chapter is dealing with the same topic. So he says, count it all joy when you fall into temptation. Count it all joy when your faith is being tested. Count it all joy when you're in the midst of trials. But then he says, what's the source of all of this? Don't let anyone say when he is parasmos, don't let anybody when you're going through trials, when you're being tested, when you're being tempted, don't say that's God. God is the one testing me. God is the one tempting me. God is the one bringing trials into my life. I, I, I just I want to make this so clear because some of us, we've been praying about the trials and the things that we're going through right now. And I want you to understand, as we walk away from these moments of prayer and faith in the word, don't you walk away saying, God, I know you're testing me. God, I know you're tempting me. God, I know. We need to, we're, we're going to get some theology right today, okay? And here's what I want you to know. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I've got four ideas for you this morning. Number one, God is good. God is good. Come on, tell somebody around you, God is good. Do you know what God does? God only does good. God is good and God does good. So if there's temptation, if there's trial, if there's turmoil, if you're having trouble in your life, I want you to understand first and foremost, the source of that challenge is not God. He's our helper, 
and he's willing and able to deliver us. In fact, I love what verse 17 says. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift. How many of you love gifts around Christmas? Did you know that God is a giver of gifts? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or no shadow of turning. That's a, that's a pretty neat picture if you ask me. There's no shadow. There's no variation or shadow of turning. You want to know why? I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I, I, there's some neat pictures actually where you can see like a a match that is lit held up, and you'll notice that it never casts a shadow. Why? Because it is the source of light. Things that it shines on will cast a shadow, but it never casts a shadow. And you understand that God himself is light. In him is no darkness. He is the very source and the root of all good. He is light, and in him there is no shadow, there is no variation, no shadow of turning. That means that, that, that God doesn't have mood swings. Yeah, thank God. I get moody. You give me too much time without food, I get moody. I get grumpy. I don't know if you're like that. I'm not going to give an illustration about my wife in this moment. But we all have experienced mood swings, don't we? With Pastor Jacob, there is variation in shadow of turning. I'll just tell you. Uh, I have good days. I have bad days. I have days that I'm frustrated. I have days that I am long-suffering. Praise God. But with God, there is no variation. There is no shadow of turning. God has not. The God of the Old Testament is not different than the God of the New Testament. The way God ministers to us today is not different than the way he was ministering 2,000 years ago. Jesus, the book of Hebrews says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still good. He's still powerful. He's still kind. He's still long-suffering. In fact, one of my favorite passages and one of the most re repeated all throughout the Old and New Testament is that God is loving and he's patient. He's kind and he relents from doing harm. Is anybody thankful we have a good God? We have a good God. He is good. He only does good. And he gives good gifts to his people. So James is saying, well, there's trouble though. So where does that come from? Well, there's two sources for trouble. There's two sources for trouble. And here's the second statement, and this will bring clarity to this. Number two, the world is fallen. Did you know that? The world is fallen. When God created the world, it was all good. And he said that repeatedly six times over. He created man. He created the earth. He created the animals. He created light. He cre everything he created. And every time he stopped and said, this is good. Everything was good, but about chapter 3, things went south pretty quickly as sin, as temptation, as parasmos entered the picture. And now things are falling. Things are decaying. Now, the emphasis, you'll notice in, in the first part of James, and most of what we've dealt with in the last number of weeks, are dealing with the fallen world. You'll notice in verse 2 of James chapter 1, count it all joy when various trials, temptations, tests come your 
way. And then in verse 6, just doing some review for us, talks about how we can have faith towards God or we can have faith that's blown around by every wind around us. Well, what is that? Well, verse 8 makes it very clear. It says that we can have loyalty towards God or for the world. Everybody say the world. We can be influenced by the world. And the world is fallen. In fact, a lot of people don't understand this, and I'm, I'm going to help you. When some people wonder, like, well, if God is good, why is there bad in the world? You have to understand. This is a, this is a basic principle, but many people, I didn't understand this for years. Did you know that the devil is not in hell today? Did you know that? The book of Ephesians calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. He's a ruler. He's an authority on the earth. Jesus called Satan the ruler of the world in John 12 and 31. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it calls Satan the god of this world. That's going to be the state of things until we see all of this come to an end, and you can read the end in Revelation chapter 20. Ultimately, Jesus is going to come back. Oh, guys, if you ever wondered, like, are these powers even comparable? Could the devil maybe win? 2 Thessalonians gives a wonderful picture, the battle of Armageddon, which, by the way, do you know why they call it Armageddon? Because when the enemy comes, people are, when Jesus comes, the enemy is going to be saying, Armageddon out of here. And you remember that, right? So what happens is the Bible says that all of the Antichrist, all of this end-time demonic army is going to be gathered there. I've seen the, the Valley of Armageddon. It's amazing. Just a picture. Whoa, this is where that battle is going to take place. And the Bible says that we who are on the earth will be transformed in, the, in a moment. Jesus is going to come back. Those who are alive will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye, glorified bodies. We will, I mean, essentially be invincible. I don't think we won't die. By that point, we'll receive our redeemed bodies, and we're going to gather together with Jesus for this battle of Armageddon. I don't know if you get excited about this, but like, uh, we like watching like, like gladiator, you know, just something about swords and, and spears and that, like that kind of warfare. Like, I think we're going to see some of that again. And you just imagine, we're all glorified, so you're not scared that you're going to die or anything like that. And we're gathered behind Jesus on his white horse, and, uh, and we're getting ready to go into battle. And on the other side of the field is Satan in the flesh, the Antichrist, and his whole army that is gathered together, billions in this army. And we're looking at this. We're waiting for Jesus to tell us to go. And this is what's going to happen. 2 Thessalonians says that with a blast of breath. Another translation says with a blow of his nostril. We're going to be geared up looking at this army of billions. And Jesus is going to go. <laughs> and it's going to be done. With a blast of his nostril, the Antichrist is going to be wiped out. Oh, my. So if you ever wonder, like, you know, yeah, baby Jesus. Yeah, appreciate baby Jesus in this time. But you also need to set your eyes on resurrected Jesus, king of kings, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's victorious, and he's going to come and rule. Oh, he's powerful. 
Now, that was a little bit of a tangent, but I think it was a good one. So you understand, Satan right now is ruling and dominating most of the earth. He is ruling most of the world. And you need to understand this because people, man, they're just like, well, if God is good, why isn't he doing this? Well, the fact of the matter is, is God has not yet redeemed the entire world. He's redeemed people. And he has sent us as ambassadors to establish his kingdom on the earth. Uh, You need to get this. This is why it is very important for us to go as kingdom ambassadors. In fact, I'm going to mess with some of you here. Okay? The Bible says all throughout the New Testament that we are to preach the kingdom. We are to extend the kingdom. We are to pray your kingdom come, your will be done. There are 162 references in the New Testament about us building, establishing, and extending the kingdom of God on the earth. 162. Do you know how many there are in regards to us building the church? Zero. There's only two references to building the church in both of them. It's the job of Jesus. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I want you to hear this. You want to know why our church has grown so rapidly? We, we have a couple responsibilities as the people of God. We pray and we pray every day. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We, we worship. Did you know the Bible says that, that his, he is enthroned upon the praises of his people? That when we begin to worship God and give him glory, he establishes his kingdom and his dominion in our midst? Oh my goodness, that's why the world can plague us, sickness can plague us, but all of a sudden you get into this kingdom realm and all of a sudden God has authority over all those things. We're to extend the kingdom. We preach the word because God's word is his glory made manifest. When we preach the word of God, his kingdom is established all around us. This is very important. And so it's not to diminish the work of building the church. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. If Jesus is building his church, all the more that we need to partner with him in it. So our job is to extend The kingdom, it's not Pastor Jacob's job to build the church. It's not King's Cathedral's job to build the church. It's Jesus' job to build the church. We extend his kingdom. We represent his kingdom. Did you know that when you go into your home on Christmas, and there's people there that have different political views, and there's people there that they don't like who so-and-so married, and, you know, you, you got all these different differences and difficulties. You can go as a kingdom ambassador carrying the peace of Almighty God, the joy of Almighty God, the grace, the, the healing, the virtues of Almighty God, and you can be his hand extended as a kingdom ambassador. You understand what that ambassador picture is, right? Every most nations you go to, you'll see like you know, you'll see a, a what do they call that? The the embassy. Thank you. 
And in the embassy, there are appointed ambassadors uh, over those embassies. And when you step into the United States embassy in whatever nation you are in, do you realize you're on U.S. soil? And in the very same way, we're in the world. It's dominated by the devil. It's fallen. It's broken. It's decaying. But there are moments where you step into the church that Jesus is building. And it's where his kingdom rules and reigns. The rules of the world are no longer in play. We're now under the kingdom of almighty God. Does that make sense? Well, I hope you're getting this, friend, because this is, this is going to help us. So we understand that some of the trouble, some of the trials, some of the temptations come just simply being in the world. Now, James begins to address another idea, and, I, and I, we shared this as I read the passage just a moment ago. So let, let's review very quickly. Number one, what did we say? God is good. Everyone say, God is good. What was the second phrase? The world is fallen. Everybody say, the world is fallen. Now, number three. Anybody know number three? Yeah, you got some of you pulled up the notes. Good job. I wanted to see. Number three, sin is bad. Oh, I know. This is where we're going deep today, huh? Sin is bad, right? Now, but you'll see this in verse 14. He's talking about, guys, I, I just can, can I just tell you? A lot of the problems that you face are, are a result of bad decisions. I know this isn't easy, but we can't blame everything on the world and we can't blame everything on the devil. Sometimes you've been irresponsible. Sometimes you've blatantly rebelled against God. And that's why you're in a mess. God's going to help us with this, okay? I'm not, we're not going to leave this. I'm not going to leave you hanging or feeling guilty or anything. But look at what the Bible says, verse 14. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire. He is enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. And then he says in verse 16, don't be deceived. You know what the challenging thing about deceit is? Is it's deceiving. There's moments that I think I'm good. I think I'm okay. But if I'm deceived, I can be completely wrong even though I think that I'm right. This is why preaching the word of truth is very important, friend, because I want you to understand. You can have a circle of friends that say these decisions you're making are good. And they can make you feel good about it, but if it's contrary to what the Lord says, friend, you're not going to answer to your friends on judgment day. You're not going to, doesn't matter if a pastor says, listen, I think this lifestyle or that is okay. At the end of the day, what does the scripture say? What is God's standard? Doesn't matter if we live in a, in a state or in a nation where, you know, it doesn't matter if they say abortion is legal. At the end of the day, we're not going to answer to our government. We're going to answer to God and how he feels about life. How does he feel about sexuality? How does he feel about greed? How does he feel about pride? I mean, you just fill in the blank there, friend. Our opinions, the general consent, the laws of the nation, all of those things matter, but none of it will matter on that day. 
What matters on that day is, God, what do you say? And that's why we preach the word. And I know I get marked as hellfire brimstone at times, but I'm not saying anything that the Bible doesn't say. I'm trying to help you. I don't want anybody getting up there on judgment day and you're surprised like, oh, I didn't realize that I was in the wrong there. But God is good. He's going to speak to you. He loves you. He's going to put his finger, hey, hey, I need you to check this attitude thing because that's going to, that desire will grow into sin. If you don't take care of that sin, death. You understand death. Death is, a, I mean, that's a scary thing. Death is, is maybe premature death. I mean, there's a couple ideas on this. There is a, a natural death. And, friend, I've prayed with people who spent years of their life abusing alcohol. And then when their liver begins to fail, is this God's judgment on me? No, man, this is, this is years of abuse manifesting in your body. Prayed with people that, you know, I mean, you just fill in the blank, you know. In fact, even one of the things is people like harboring unforgiveness and resentment. The Bible says that that stuff is like rot to the bones. And that's been proven. That's just not Pastor Jacob being hyper-spiritual. I mean, you can get online and search. Years of stress undealt with, friend, will take years off of your life. Unforgiveness in your heart will take years off of your life. Years of abuse will take years off of your life. Desire leads to sin, leads to death. And of course, we understand that there's this idea of eternal death, what the Bible calls the second death. If we leave sin unchecked, unrepented, unforgiven, Friend, there is hell to pay. This is why we must understand that Jesus Christ came. When you look at that manger scene, when you, when you sing those Christmas carols, I want you to remember that today a Savior is born. A Savior is born. We all need saving. We've all fallen short. We all need forgiveness. We all need Jesus. Oh, I feel his presence right now. We all need a Savior. I'm not talking down to you today. I'm a drug addict saved by grace. I was gripped by lust and immorality. I've been saved by grace, greed, selfishness. These things used to dominate my life. I have been saved by grace. And I'm still in process. I still get angry. I still get selfish. I still have variation and shadow of turning. God's still working in me. He's working in all of us. But how many of you are thankful that Jesus Christ was born? A Savior to wipe away the sins of the world, to change us, to transform us, to set us free. Oh, he's a good God. He's a good God. Sin is bad. Now, you may wonder. Okay, so came on heavy there, and I'm going to end on a note that may surprise some of you. I believe, let me say this in a way that you're not going to shut me off right away. I believe that one of the great fruits of the Spirit God wants to produce in our lives is the fruit of self-control. I'm going to mess with some of you right now, but I need you to stick with me for a minute. I do not believe that the answer for dealing with most sin is total abstinence. 
I do not believe when we're dealing with lust. I do not believe that when we're dealing with greed or fill in the blank, violence, anger, I do not believe the answer is total abstinence. You say, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor Jacob? Are you with me? Do I have your attention? This is a principle I wish I would have learned early in my walk with God. This is my fourth point, and I want you to write this down. This is going to help you in your walk with God. It's going to help you in raising teenagers. It's going to help you in your marriage. It's going to help you from being overly religious and making brash decisions. I'm going to help you this morning. Don't be extra. Number four, don't be extra. I mean, there's a Bible verse for this as well. It's here in James. Do you know what it is to be extra, by the way? Okay. I'm going to explain to you. I see some people shaking their head. I don't know what it means to be extra. Um, so, the person who is overly loud and obnoxious all the time, that's extra. Okay? Uh, the, the person, have you ever met the person who's always smiling, always like, oh, so happy, and you know, bro, you get grumpy sometimes. I, you're being extra. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hey, have you met the person that, I mean, this was, this was always the one that uh, irritated me when I was in P.E. in high school. You always have that one person. You can be playing wiffle ball, casual, but you have that one guy who's over-enthusiastic, just like, you know, ah, this is the, I mean, this is life and death, this wiffle ball game. That's extra. One of our friends had Sent us, I was asking our, some of our friends and family, like, give me some examples of extra. And they said, well, one time we had Red Ribbon Week at school, and everybody, uh, everybody decided they're not going to dress up for costume day. But I decided, this was a, a girl, she's like, I'm a, I, she dressed up as She-Hulk, painted her entire body green, had fake, like, stuffed arms and everything. And you just imagine showing up to school. Nobody is dressed up, and then one person is dressed up like She-Hulk from Hedra. That's over the top. Uh, uh, extra, it, it, it means uh, to be over the top, to be excessive, to be dramatic, to be way too much. In fact, most of us, most of you are familiar with this whole, like, Karen thing. Now, I'm not going to use that as an example because I know some Karens who get offended. You know, that's, I mean, I, I asked a Karen one time, how do you feel about this whole Karen thing? You're being a Karen. And she started to cry. So we're not going to use Karen. But I'm telling you, most of the Karen attitude comes down to being extra. Do you guys understand what extra is now? Don't tell people stop being extra. You'll, you'll get extra if you do that. What does this have to do with the Bible? The Bible says, we read this verse in verse 14, that the root of sin is desire. Everybody say desire. That's the Greek word. I put this in your notes. Epithumeo. Epithumeo. Everybody say epithumeo. Now, thumeo is burning, passion, desire. It can be used to describe lust or envy, ungodly desire. Epi means extra. It means too much. It means in excess. So listen to me. This is why I say I don't, I don't believe in total abstinence all across the board. 
sex is wonderful. It is useful for spiritual warfare. It is useful for the binding of my soul to my wife. It is useful for physical gratification. It is useful. It is good, and God calls it good. But when sex is epi, thumeo, when sex is too much with the wrong person or people you're not you're not married to that person this is outside of what the bible says is appropriate for your relationship you're addicted to this when you move into epi sin food oh it's wonderful my wife was making cinnamon rolls and she had a new cookie recipe. She browned the butter. She just brought me, like, browned butter dough. I never knew there was such a thing, but that thing, like, in my mouth for hours was just like, it's like heaven. And it's wonderful. You guys get to, we just came out of Thanksgiving. We're looking forward to Christmas meals with family. Food is wonderful. It's a gift from God. But when food is the source of your comfort, when food becomes an idol in your life, when food is negatively impairing your health because you don't know how to limit your self-control, it has become epi, extra, too much. And it's when we move into the realm of gluttony. I'm convinced that virtually every sin you can name in Scripture comes down to epi. It's something God intended to be good, something God intended for us to enjoy. But what has happened is it becomes too much, it becomes extra, it becomes perverted in a way that God never intended for it to be. I had a young person come to me one time, Pastor Jacob, I'm giving up football because I don't, wanna, I don't want idols in my life. I want to I live for the glory of God. And my response to that young man is, why don't you play football for the glory of God? Football's not a sin, friend, until it becomes an obsession, until you notice I've abandoned my relationship with God. I'm not showing up to church anymore. I, I don't have godly friends in my life. I don't pray anymore. It's become epi. Business pursuits, education, relationships. I mean, you fill in the blank. All of these things are wonderful. Build a business. Become successful. Get your doctorate. Do these things. But if it becomes so much that it dominates your relationship with the Lord, it becomes greater than your pursuit of the Lord, epi. Are you guys tracking with me? Again, I, I wish I would have known this earlier. I love playing video games. Worship team, would you come? I'm going I'm to close. I like playing video games, and I have. I mean, I, I, the first Christmas I remember is when I got a Nintendo Entertainment System, the original one with the flip top, the one you had to blow in the, 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 the thing just to get it to work. My favorite game, Tetris. I still play Tetris. I'll, beat, I'll take on anybody in Tetris. I'll dominate you. I still enjoy playing. But I remember there was a time I, I had been saved for a little while now, and I, I was in Bible college, and I noticed that I would just get overzealous for, for playing video games. I would get to the point where it's like, you know, I, I'm losing sleep because I'm staying up late playing games. I, I skipped the prayer meeting because I wanted to play games, and, uh, and so this is what I did. 
I felt convicted that video games were becoming an idol to me. Wow. That was spiritual right there. Video games were becoming an idol to me, and so this is what I did. I, I took all my games, I took my TV, I took my systems, I, I, everything, took it down to GameStop when that was a thing, and, and I sold everything that I had. I completely cut it off in my life spend this time in prayer and uh, and that's what I did and somewhere down the line I probably heard someone teach about epithumeo sometime after that and I realized video games are not a sin I need self-control I need to learn discipline let me give you one more example my wife when we were dating this broke my heart she dumped me a couple months into our relationship. Neither one of us had done anything wrong. We weren't in a fight, but she dumped me because she's like, I'm spending all my time with you, and I noticed that I'm not spending time in prayer. I'm not going after God anymore. And so she dumped me. I was mad. I'm just like, you know, what in the world is going on? I, I just, I, I didn't understand. So I went to the Lord in prayer. And I'm like, no, this isn't right. So I went back over to her dorm. And I knocked on her door and I, I pretty much told her, I'm not, you're not dumping me. You're not breaking up with me. I did not let her. I said, if, if we're going to be married, we need to learn to be married and love each other and love the Lord. We need to learn the practice of, I have a relationship with Jesus and, I, and I'm serving in the ministry, but I also love you. It's all about epi. It's all about not being extra with things. Do you understand? Ministry. You can watch people become so overzealous for ministry that they lose their children. They lose their marriage. Ministry can become epi. It can become extra too much. I mean, you guys, I, I hope this helps you. This is one of the simple principles I wish I would have understood early in my walk with God. The next time the Lord brings conviction into your life, you begin to examine, God, how has this grown? Because you'll notice even the, the, the way that Scripture leads us, it desires where it all begins. And if you let it become extra, it produces sin. Then, if undealt with, Let's catch it at the desire phase before we step into sin. Let's learn discipline and self-control. I believe if we're faithful to do that, God will guard us from sin. A lot of our trouble won't even come into fruition. We still have the world we deal with. But I'll tell you what, it's hard enough to walk in the world without having sin dominate my life as well. Can we just stand all across the room right now? Tell your neighbor, don't be extra. I know it's a silly illustration, but you're going to remember this message. You're going to remember. We're going to move into a time of just worship and, and prayer for a moment here. I'm not going to keep us a long time because... We've got a 
parking lot full of bikers that are gathering pretty close by. And we're going to minister to them. But with every head bowed and everyone praying, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I need forgiveness. I need the Savior to rule and reign in my life. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've got some things that are epi in my life that are in excess. I know it's a good thing, but I've been abusing it. And I need the Lord to help me. I need the Lord to give me self-control so that things don't become idols or sin in my life. And the Lord will help us. The Lord will help you. We just need to be honest with Him about it. If you're here today and God is speaking to your heart, in fact, I'm going to do two calls today and we're going to pray for both of them. First of all, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I just need Jesus to forgive me. I felt convicted when you were talking about hell's real. The second death is real. And I want to know before I leave here today that I'm right with God. Come on, if God's speaking to your heart, nobody's looking around, just me, you, and the Lord. I want to know who I'm praying for. You say, include me in your prayer. I need forgiveness. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Hallelujah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So many, so many, so many. Hands down. And here's the second call. If you're hearing God speaking to you about areas of your life that are in excess, food is good, sex is good, love is good, money is good, it's all, it's all fine. But if it's an excess, it's epi. And God's speaking to you today about self-control, about discipline. And you need the Lord to help you. Come on, if that be you, would you lift your hands all across this room? Yeah, yeah, so many, so many, so many. In fact, most of us, most of us. Can we all just lift our hands right now as a sign of surrender? And I want you to pray right out loud with me. We're going to ask the Lord to wash us and to cleanse us. I want you to pray out loud with me right now. Pray, dear Jesus, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I have sinned. Wash me, Jesus. Cleanse me in your blood. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my very best friend. I give myself to you. I believe you died for my sin. You rose from the dead. And you're coming back soon. I'm going to be ready because of your hand on my life. Use me, Lord, for your glory and your namesake. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now I want to pray for all of us. In fact, would you put a hand on a shoulder next to you? And we're going to pray that God would give us his power to live in discipline, in self-control. We all need this. Most hands went up across this room. And I want you to pray that God would strengthen that individual and that he's going to help them. Whatever the area of sin or compromise might be, excess, epi, God's going to help us today. Lord, I just ask all across this room, you know the areas of our life 
where there are there is excess, there is too much. It's it's epi, it's epithumeo, it's it's too much desire, it's too much passion. But today, Lord, before it becomes sin in our life, we ask you to put it in check in our lives. Help us to live lives of discipline. God, help us to live lives that that we understand what self-control is. That before we go too much, before we step into abuse, before we step into, uh, Lord, uh, excess, to be extra, God, I'm asking that you would help us and give us a grace for self-control. Almighty God, we lay this before you in the mighty name of Jesus. I ask you to help us all across this room, and even as we stand here supporting and praying one for another, I ask, O Lord, that you would strengthen us and to be with us in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen.